kind of a Sunday. It's a dedication Sunday, celebration Sunday. And uh, I normally teach uh, verse by verse through books of the Bible, but this morning I'm going to kind of do a topical message here. So uh, I've entitled this uh, What It's All About, and it will become kind of self-evident what it's all about, what I'm, what I'm going to be sharing with you. But let's go ahead and ask the Lord to bless. Lord, we thank you for your, your word now. And as we consider this topic in terms of uh, what it's all about, I pray that you would give me grace uh, to teach accurately and clearly in a way that's profitable. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is a historic day at, in the life of Southview Bible Church. And uh, we will be celebrating tonight uh, what, how God has led us to this point. But this morning I want to review, as I say, what it's all about. Why do we exist? What is the purpose of Southview Bible Church as we move forward? Well, when God's people Israel came out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses, it was really a picture of redemption as they were saved from the slavery back in Egypt, as seen in the book of Exodus. Then the people were taught how they should live, but they failed to really walk by faith and go into the promised land. And consequently, that entire generation died in the wilderness with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, who were men of faith. Well, as a new generation emerged and Moses was getting towards the end of his life, he shared with them what we now call the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy literally means second law. It involved a repeating of the law given earlier at Mount Sinai and was now reiterated to a new generation which was about to enter the promised land. This teaching underscored to this new generation the core issues of their faith and what was important for them to know in terms of living for God. And so, the first slide. Thank you. Uh, Deuteronomy 32, 45 through 47. Moses finished speaking all these words to Israel to all Israel. And he said to them, set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to carefully, uh, carefully to observe all the words of this law. For it is not a futile thing for you, because it is your life. And by this word, you shall prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. Well, today I want to review with you uh, really what is your very life as the people of God, what it's to be all about. These are the core fundamental truths that should guide us as a church as we go into the future, come what may. The first point is, it's all about God. It's all about God. The Bible is a book about God. It begins in the very first sentence, the very first verse by saying, in the beginning, God. Furthermore, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is the creator of all. Everything begins with him. Everything ends with him. He's the creator of all. He's the judge of all. And what do we find at the end of the book, uh, the book of Revelation? Uh, well, we find that it is the creator who once again makes all things new. Whoops. There we go. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then Revelation, the last book in the Bible, Revelation 21, 5, then he who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. Here he is, the maker, the creator, making all things new. And he said to me, write, for these words are true and faithful. 
God created the world for his own purposes, for his own glory. God created people for himself, to bring glory to himself. Again, back to the review of Deuteronomy, which, by the way, was the favorite book of Jesus uh, in the sense of quoting it more often than any other Old Testament book as far as what's recorded in the New Testament. But in Deuteronomy, we have in chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, what is called the Shema, the Shema, which is the great confession of Judaism, which pious Jews, by the way, recite daily in the morning and in the evening. And here's what, the way it reads. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. In Matthew chapter 22, 38, Jesus said to love God is the first and greatest commandment. We were created for God. And God is to be our first and greatest love. God is to have our all. I mean, he created us. He's God. It should be all about him. It's all about the triune God of the Bible. But as New Testament believers, we know that God has revealed himself most fully, finally, and completely in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. At the end of uh, 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, it says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding. What, what's he helping us to understand? Well, that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Thus, as revealed by God, it's all about Jesus. For us as true believers, it's not about rituals, relics, and religion. It's about relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The Bible is a book about Jesus. That's what this book is about as it develops. Note an overview here. Old Testament time of preparation. It's all about Jesus. Gospels manifest, manifestation. It's all about Jesus. The Acts, propagation of the message about Jesus. The Epistles, explanation about Jesus. Revelation, consummation. It's all about Jesus. Builds to the climax of the second coming. We're looking for Jesus. The centerpiece is Jesus. After his resurrection, he was visiting with the two disciples on the Emmaus Road. And we read in... Uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, that's the Old Testament scriptures, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I'd love to bend in on that class. But C.I. Schofield said this, what a great statement. The Lord Jesus gave them the great key to the understanding of scripture that he himself is its subject and that in him the entire book finds it's unity. There you go. The centerpiece is Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10, 7. Then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. Speaking of Jesus, the Messiah. Revelation nineteen ten. I fell at his feet to worship him. John's having a hard time in his vision in heaven. <laughs> you know, he wants to fall at the feet of angels. Not supposed to do that. But uh, it continues there. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It's all about Jesus. In one form or another, Christ is seen throughout the entire Bible. In the Old Testament, we have him pictured in the sacrifices, referenced in the prophecies, etc. In the New Testament, we have him fulfilling the Old Testament scriptures, bringing all the strands 
of prophetic truth and typology to their intended end. Jesus is the centerpiece. And all the way through the Bible, we see this this theme of redemption. It's about the person of Jesus, who he is, this most unique Messiah, fully God and fully man in one person, the God-man, second member of the triune Godhead. But the other major line that's developed in the scriptures is uh, this theme of redemption is found in the person of Christ, our Savior. The word redemption means to deliver by paying a price. And the Bible paints one consistent picture that the price of sin required a blood payment. In Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, God provided tunics of skin for clothing. Abel brought an animal offering to God, which was acceptable. In Exodus, we have the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, we have the sacrificial system and blood given for atonement on the altar. In Joshua, we find Rahab binding a scarlet cord in her window. Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 graphically and prophetically portray the blood sacrifice of Christ. In the Gospels, we have Christ introduced as the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, followed by the truth of his crucifixion, considered in great detail. Acts propagates the story and the epistles further explain. Revelation, 28 times, the book of Revelation, 28 times speaks of Jesus in reference to the Lamb and concludes with him coming clothed with a robe dipped in blood. Let us never forget it's all about God as revealed ultimately in the person of Christ. I often say it's all about Jesus. And you know why I say that? Because it is. Because it is. We have uh, Paul saying this in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Philippians 1, 20, Paul's earnest desire was that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. I don't know about you, but I prayed that prayer before I came here today. This is the ultimate issue. Whether by life or by death, that Christ will be magnified in our body. My mother was dying, and just as she was taking her last breath, I prayed this prayer. Whether by life or by death, that you would be magnified in her body, in my body. It's all about God. It's not about us. Number two, it's all about God's truth. What a great verse. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Everything here deteriorates. It breaks down. It's not lasting. But the word of our God shall stand forever. Jesus said in John 12, 48, He rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Wow. Better take the words of Jesus seriously. That's what's going to be front and center, judging everyone in the last day. Robert Cleaver Chapman wrote, The book contains, this book contains the Bible. This book contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy. Its precepts are binding. Its histories are true. Its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise. Believe it to be safe. Practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass. The soldier's sword and the Christian's character. Here paradise is restored. Heaven opened and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand subject. Our good, its design, and the glory of God, its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, 
and prayerfully. It is given you in life, will be opened in the judgment, and will be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, will reward the greatest labor, and will condemn all who trifle with its sacred contents. Let us never forget it's all about the Bible. We are called Southview Bible Church for a reason. We must forever and ever maintain a high and reverent view of the scriptures and be prepared to die on that hill. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. When the Bible speaks, that ends the argument because the Bible speaks with final and absolute authority. Our concern is to rightly divide the word of truth, to understand it properly, and then to apply it consistently. It's all about God's truth, but I want to zero specifically in on gospel truth. After the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and Revelation was progressive. God's adding this piece of the puzzle, that piece of the puzzle, this piece of the puzzle. And in Christ, the whole puzzle comes together. After the resurrection, the Bible says that God now, now, he overlooks some things in the past, says there. But now he commands all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because judgment day is coming in which God will judge by the man whom he raised from the dead, namely Jesus Christ. We find in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, related to the second coming, what's Christ going to do in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God, on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ? These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Our gospel message has a twofold emphasis. It's all about the person of Christ and the finished work of Christ. It's all about who Jesus is as Lord and Savior. As Savior, he died for all of our sins. That's how I know I'm going to heaven. He didn't die for, you know, most of them. Uh, it's not kind of a joint effort. Jesus doing his thing, I'm doing my. He did it all. He's the Savior. No one else. He died for all of our sins and as Lord over all, he rose again. That's the gospel. Paul summarizes the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. What is it, Paul? I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins on the cross. He died for our sins. According to the scriptures, in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. And he was buried. And he rose again the third day. According to the Old Testament scriptures. All in fulfillment of scripture. This didn't happen in isolation. It didn't happen in a vacuum. It's one of the great proofs of the Bible. Fulfilled prophecy. According to the scriptures. That's what our gospel is. And then 1 Corinthians 2, 2, Paul says, I determined, and he's talking to these Corinthians, he says, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ. That's the person of Christ. And him crucified, the work of Christ. And note that our message to the world is a message of grace. The gospel above all things is a gospel of grace. And grace is first and foremost about the cross. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. That's grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. We don't work for it. It's all grace. This message of grace is so serious 
that I think outside the Lord Jesus and some of the very strong things he said, the strongest thing we have in the New Testament is in Galatians 1, 8, and 9, where Paul gives the harshest warning for anyone who would dare to preach any other gospel. And notice what he says there. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ. That's the message of Christ. It's all about grace. The grace of Christ to a different gospel. Our message is a gospel of grace. The grace of Christ. And he says of this different gospel, verse 7, which is not another. It's not really another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. And then he warns. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached you, let him be accursed. The idea there is let him be damned. As we said before, so I now say again, if anyone preaches another gospel, any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. The world of religions can be broken up into two categories, a work salvation and a grace salvation. And the whole world is trying to work their way up to God Trying, 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 trying. Christianity is God coming down to us in the person of Christ because we could never reach up to God on our own. During a British conference on comparative religions, experts from around the world had gathered and they were debating what was unique, if anything, to the Christian faith. I mean, the world is full of supposed do-gooder religion. Well, the debate continued for quite some time until C.S. Lewis walked into the room. And when he learned that they were debating Christianity's unique contribution among the world's religions, Lewis responded, Oh, that's easy. It's grace. Ended the conversation. Paul summarized the entirety of his life's mission with these words. But none of these things move me, the the threats that he was facing, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. You see, grace and works are mutually exclusive. You're either saved by the work of Christ or you're saved by your works. You're saved by the grace of Christ. You can't have it both ways. You can't mingle grace and works. It's one or the other. Paul in Romans 4, 5 says, But to him who does not work, this is what real faith is. I'm not trusting my works. To him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, By grace, that's the cross. By grace you have been saved. Through faith. That not of yourselves. You don't do it. It's a gift. It's a gift of God. On the holidays, you don't get a gift and say, how much do I owe you for this? You don't do that, do you? No, you don't. It's a gift of God. Not of works. Specifically says, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's a good thing because if it was by works and we could get to heaven, on, we'd never hear the end of it. I did this. I did this. You know what we're all doing in heaven? Jesus did it all. We're giving all the glory to him. No one can brag on what they have done to get to heaven. He alone is the Savior. He alone died on the cross. He gets all the glory. Paul says, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, uh, in summary, which one of the following describes what a person must trust in to get to heaven? Would it be your works 
were to be Christ plus works, which people tend to want to think. Well, that middle circle, that seems like a really happy compromise. No, it's not. It's a damning compromise. The answer, the only right answer is Christ alone. That's the grace answer. Christ is our all in all. There's an old fable about a man who died. And he stood before St. Peter, who was evaluating people to see uh, whether they would be allowed into heaven. Remember, it's a fable. Peter said, in order to get in, you need a thousand points. The man said, well, I've gone to church all my life. Uh, was a faithful member of my church. Peter said, that equals one point. The man continued, I've been faithful to my wife. Was a good father. Peter said, you're now up to two points. Flabbergasted, the man said, I've, I've been a good community servant. I gave to the Salvation Army. I helped out in my neighborhood. Was involved in good causes in my community. And Peter said, you're now up to three points. The guy then blurted out, at this rate, the only way I'm going to get to heaven is by the grace of God. Peter said, that's worth a thousand points. Come on in. (laughs) It's a fable. In truth, we get no points for anything we do. You know, Isaiah 64, 6 says, all our righteousnesses, all the right things we do are as filthy rags before God. I don't care. Bring your best to God. It's like filthy rags. You get no points for it. Grace, G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's grace. My mother was on hospice care. She was dying. And immediately when she died that morning, we were instructed. Everybody knew she was dying. It was just a matter of when. And when she died, we immediately called the hospice people to come. A young man showed up. Mama just died. He was on one side of the bed and I was on the other side of the bed. He was trying to comfort me. He said, well, she's in heaven and she deserved it. And I said, she's in heaven, but she didn't deserve it. (laughs) I mean, we're three feet apart. Mother, my dead mother between us. He got into an argument with me. Dad's outside listening to this whole thing. And I'm insisting mother, no, mother did not go to heaven because she deserved it. Oh, yes, she did. He didn't even know her. He's he's insisting she's in heaven. I said, she was a trophy of grace. She's in heaven by the grace of God. Well, he didn't quite understand that. It's only by grace. And God has delivered this precious truth to his people, the church. That is true believers. We have a stewardship responsibility to give out this whole gospel to the whole world. In 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul says, If I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. The church is described as the pillar or support and ground, that is, uh, or foundation of the truth. We are the church that has been given the truth. God has entrusted this to the church. We have the truth. The world doesn't have the truth. The major scientists out here, unless they're Christians, they don't have the truth. We are the truth center, as it were. We are God's facilitators of the truth. We are the defenders of God's truth. We are the pillar and ground of the truth. God has delivered it to us to give it out to the world. That's our responsibility. Well, it's late I knew this service would do this to me, as all services do this to me, but I'm going to have to cut a few pages out of my notes here. I'll send them to you. But let me summarize the remainder of my points. 
and I have five, and I'm only on the second one. So anyway, (laughs) God has entrusted the truth into our care, and it's our responsibility to uncompromisingly hold to it, present it to the world, and for the record, this means being faithful to the whole counsel of God as inspired, inerrant, and all-sufficient for our spiritual needs. It's all about people, my third point. It's not about programs, activities, busyness, stuff, or even a building. Thankful I am for it, indeed. But it's all about people. The Abrahamic covenant, see, this is stuff we're skipping. Genesis 12, 3, I will bless those who bless you, God said to Abraham. Curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Yes, Israel had a special place, but yet through Israel, God wanted to bless the entire world. For God so loved the world, we know that. John 3, 16, he gave his only begotten son. In heaven, there's going to be a whole bunch of people from all tribes. God cares about people, and therefore we should too. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4 says, we should pray for all people because God desires all people to come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. In the end, it's not ultimately about buildings or brick and mortar, although indeed we are thankful for those tools, but it's ultimately about people. This is the church age, and God is building a forever family called the church. Number four, it's about love. Did you think I did pretty good on the last point? That was brief, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, number four, it's all about love. I'm not talking about love as the world defines love, which is really often defined as lust. Uh, true love in the Bible sense of the word is sacrificial giving that works for the other person's highest good and acts for the other person's highest good. Uh, what is Christ's command to us? Well, this is what we were before we were uh, Christians, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That's how the world carries on. But this is Christ's commandment to his people, a new commandment that we love one another as he loved us. This is to be the defining trait of the disciples of Christ. And I've often threatened we should put this over the door of the church, right? Philippians 2.14. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Wow, that's a a great verse to live by, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, This is to be our testimony. Now abide faith, hope, love. These three, the greatest of these is love. You see, our faith demonstrates itself in love. Galatians 5.6. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. It's not a matter of rituals. These things... Uh, avail, don't avail for anything, avails anything. But faith working through love, that's what it's all about. Well, finally, it's all about eternity. It's all about eternity. What matters in life is what will matter in eternity. And what matters is what matters to God. Jesus said, don't lay up your treasures on earth, lay, lay them up in heaven. Paul said, we brought nothing into this world. It's certain we can carry nothing out. God, help us to live in light of eternity. Jonathan Edwards rightly prayed, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. Boy, that's good. Live in light of eternity. C.S. Lewis said, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that we have become so ineffective in this. And then he said this, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Indeed, Lord, stamp eternity on our eyeballs. So in summary, here's what uh, you missed. 
Here's uh, what I, I shared with you this morning. What it's all about, it's, it's all about God who has revealed himself most fully in the person of Jesus Christ. It's all about God's truth, gospel truth. It's all about people, not about stuff. It's all about love, not about self. It's all about eternity, not merely now. As a boy, my mother drilled in this truth into my head that wouldn't leave me. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's what it's all about, living for Jesus. And I want to conclude with this wonderful statement from Paul in Ephesians. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Why don't the elders uh, join me up front here? We want to have a dedicatory prayer. And uh, maybe we can have each one of them just have a short prayer. And then I'll close. I think Jason's got the mic here. Oh, it's right here. Okay.